I'd like to say good evening. I'm glad all the young ones eventually made it out of the escape rooms this afternoon. I, our group got out pretty quick, and we didn't see anybody else, so we kind of got to skip out a little early on you guys. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed that, uh, learned some lessons in teamwork and strategy, unless you were on Jacob's team. He just kind of took over for us. So we were glad, glad we had him on our team. We won, right? We got out first, so that was a good thing. Tonight we're going to continue talking about individuals that found themselves at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We talked Sunday morning about that crucifixion and the story of the cross. We talked Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon about who was missing and and that apostle Judas who had betrayed Jesus and found himself in different circumstances taking his own life instead of being there watching his Savior die who could have offered him forgiveness from the heinous crimes that he had committed. Last night we talked about the dear disciple John, and as was mentioned in the closing remarks, that John is the disciple that we all want Jesus to look at us as. That we are the disciples that Jesus loved. Just like John claimed to be, you and I can claim the same thing for our life today because of what our Savior was willing to do for us and sacrificing himself in our place. Tonight, we're going to talk about an individual who is very aware of warfare. An individual that had been trained in physical combat. Who would have been one that had great authority and power and exercised that power by the position that he held. And that man is the centurion. As Jesus looked down from the cross, he would have seen this soldier standing there. And in Matthew 27, verse 54, it says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared. You know, this day for this centurion started out probably like a lot of other days. He came in, he reported for duty, and he was given his assignment for the day. And that assignment on this day was to foresee and oversee that three individuals would have their lives ended at the hands of the Roman government. They had committed crimes. They had been found guilty according to their laws. And these men were given to this man to ensure that he did what he was tasked to do. I venture to say emotionless. He would have to go about his duties. I don't know about you, but Taking someone's life wouldn't be something I would look forward to day in and day out. But we have to understand something about this man, the centurion. He was a trained soldier. He would have been battle proven. He would have been one who had been victorious in battle after battle. And he was a man's man as far as the Roman Empire was concerned. And as a centurion, he would have been given charge over a hundred men. Could you imagine having a hundred men that did exactly what you told them to do, when you told them to do it, and they didn't question, they just went and did it. That's the kind of power that this centurion had. And when he spoke, he spoke out of authority of the Roman government itself. And as he was given his duties that day to go and to crucify these three criminals, one of them being Jesus, the Son of God, he probably had no thought of what was going to happen to him that day. That he was going to have an opportunity to make a great confession about what he saw 
as those events unfolded. You read some Roman military history and you'll read about some of the things that these men did for fun. That these people enjoyed doing and inflicting pain and torment and death upon other individuals and they had a sadistic desire and thirst for blood. And it brought them enjoyment to see these kind of things happen. And I can imagine this centurion, as he's given his directives of what he was to do, he's watching Jesus fall beneath the load of his cross, and he finds a man of Cyrene, Simon, to continue carrying that cross for Jesus. And they get him to the place where he's to be crucified, and perhaps this centurion stood there and directed his soldiers on what they were to do with stretching out the arms of Jesus and driving the nails through his wrist and through his feet and hanging them there between heaven and earth to die. Perhaps this centurion stood there, gazing, hoping these men would hurry up and die so that he could go home and be with his family. Or maybe he could go and do whatever he did to cope with what he had to do that day at the end of the day. But what we find is a man who had his life changed in a single moment. And I want you to understand tonight, your life can be changed in a single moment when you come across that Savior at Calvary. You see, this centurion essentially had three purposes. Number one, to follow orders. He did what he was told to do. As he had charge over a hundred men that were at his beck and call to do what he told them to do, he had those above him who expected when they gave him an order, he did it. And he did it to the best of his ability. And when the orders came down to beat and to kill this man Jesus, there would have been no thought about him being the Son of God. There would have been no thought about him being a king or having any authority or power. This centurion would have looked at him just as he looked at every other common criminal that he had ever crucified and said, let's do our business. And as the soldiers beat Jesus across his back with that, that whip, And as they put the crown of thorns on his head and they drove those thorns deeper and deeper into his scalp, that centurion would stand there in charge and finally give the word, that's enough. He was to carry out the crucifixion and ensure that these criminals died for the crimes that they had been accused of. And it was his job to maintain order and ensure that there wasn't a mob or a crowd that would come and try to take Jesus off of that cross, which... Apparently there was none. John 19 and verse 2 says, And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. And we could go on and on about the torture that these men inflicted upon Jesus. And they did it happily. You know why? It was their job. And to them, they were doing the right thing. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Jesus was familiar with these type of individuals. Jesus had encounters with soldiers, men of the military, and even centurions who had that kind of authority. And in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10, we're going to see a discourse or a conversation that Jesus had with one of these centurions 
of the Roman guard. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 5. says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel." You see, Jesus talked to this man of military background who acknowledged his role as a centurion, that he had all these men at his disposal who jumped when he said jump, who went when he said went, go, who came when he said come. But he realized he had a need that nobody else could help him with. He had somebody that he cared about that was sick. And he knew where to go. This centurion, this man of the Roman Empire, comes to Jesus and says, I need you to heal this friend of mine. I know you have the power to do it. He wouldn't have asked Jesus if he doubted. And what did Jesus say about this man? This man wasn't a Jew. This man wasn't one of the disciples who had been following him throughout the countryside preaching and teaching people about the kingdom of God that was to come. Teaching them how to live. This man hadn't been following him. This man was just in desperate need, but he understood something about Jesus. Jesus could fix the problem that he had. And he came to him. And Jesus looked at this centurion and he says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. This Roman centurion. Did Jesus know ultimately what was going to happen to him? He did. Don't you think he knew that one day a centurion would be there ordering him to be nailed to a cross? And now this other centurion comes to him begging him to help him with this problem? Don't you think Jesus could have said, you know what? You know what you people are going to do to me? I'm not going to help you. That may be our attitude, wouldn't it? If I knew I was going to die at the hands of these people and then they're asking me to do something, why am I going to help you? Look at what you're going to do to me. But Jesus looked at that man and said he had more faith than anybody he had seen in Israel. And you know what he did? He helped that man, didn't he? Jesus was well aware of these men and how they operated and the authority that they had. The day Jesus died on the cross, we see four soldiers that were present along with this centurion. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 23 says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took His garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also His coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They poured my ra- parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did." So we see along with this centurion that's in charge, that's able to give commands and orders, we see four soldiers that are there that day when Jesus is on the cross. And as Jesus is there hanging on the cross, these four men aren't concerned with the Son of God dying. All they're concerned about is what? What kind of gain can I get for these garments that this man just had on? 
And they took one of the garments and they parted it four ways so that every soldier could have a piece. And then there was the cloak. And they said, you know what? This is a beautiful piece of material. This is a beautiful garment. Let's not tear it. Instead, let's gamble over it to see who can have it. You know, they had no idea they were fulfilling what David had prophesied of in the 22nd Psalm. That this was going to happen. You see, God even operates through those who are trying to destroy Christ. To bring about His will. And the ultimate purpose of saving the souls of mankind. That the prophecy might be fulfilled. But these men weren't concerned about spiritual things. They had done their duty. Jesus was on the cross. The two criminals were beside Him. Their day was done. All that was left was to watch these men suffer. And to ensure that their death took place. What a job. But that's what they did. And they did their job very well. They were highly skilled. But there was something about Jesus that stood out to this centurion. As his four soldiers that are there that day are casting lots and gambling over the clothing of Jesus, this centurion begins to think about some things. And he was impressed by something that he saw in Jesus that he had not seen in anyone else who had been crucified. Could it have been his physical endurance? The beating that Jesus had gone through? The night of trial that he had been put through? The torment that he was going through as he hung there on the cross, drawing in small breath after small breath, and yet he still kept fighting. You know, that physical prowess would have stood out to this Roman soldier whose identity was all about what? His physical specimen and who he was. It's said that the Roman soldiers had to march essentially 28 kilometers a day in their armor. They were in shape. They had to be to do the job that they were asked to do. To ensure that if Rome was attacked, they were ready to go fight and they were ready to go win at all cost. And that physical endurance may have stood out to this man. It could have been Jesus' care and concern for others. Perhaps he was there at the cross and he heard Jesus cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps he saw the discourse between Jesus and John as he tells John to take care of his mother. And maybe that stood out to him because surely nobody else had ever hung there on the cross and said, you know what, forgive these people for doing this to me. And maybe it stood out to that centurion because that centurion felt the guilt of what he had just done. That he had killed this man and now this man that's hanging on a cross is telling, asking someone to forgive me? And maybe that stood out to him. Because that didn't happen every day. Could you imagine what that soldier faced day in and day out as they went crucifying people? Being cursed at. The agonizing torment. The screams of pain and suffering. Being spit at. Constantly. 
fearing that someone was going to come and attack you to try to save their loved one or whoever it was that was on that cross as those things did happen. And that's what this soldier faced day in and day out. But this day, this man asked God to forgive him. I would imagine that stood out to him. In Matthew 27, we see that this soldier recognized something different about Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51 says, Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. The countless crucifixions that this man had participated in, that he had directed, surely he'd never seen anything like this. That as Jesus is on the cross, he cries out with what? A loud voice. You know how most people died on crosses? Silent. Because as their body hangs there, essentially they suffocate. And the pressure that their body is under doesn't allow them to rid themselves of the carbon dioxide that builds up in their system and they suffocate. In silence. But this man cries out with a loud voice. And he dies. And as he does that, what happens? We see that the veil of the temple is rent in two. There's a great earthquake. Graves are opened. And then following the resurrection of Jesus, people come out of those graves. These spectacular events show the power that God has over nature, over His creation. Brother Michael has talked to you young people every morning this week about what? About the rock that will cry out if you don't. That God has the power to do what? To manipulate nature to bring about what it is He wants and desires. And if you don't sing, guess what? The rocks will cry out. And when Jesus died on the cross, there was a great earthquake. Who caused that? Was it just a coincidence or was it the power of God? It was God demonstrating His power and letting this world know something tragic has just happened. And as this centurion stands there, he's confronted with the issue of Jesus and saying, this was no ordinary crucifixion. And in fact, he makes an even greater confession that we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. This centurion who had been given the job to murder and to take the life of Jesus Christ. As Jesus hangs there and dies. Realizes what they've done. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. What if he would have realized that earlier that morning? I think about that. Man, why couldn't he just realize that? You know what would have happened? They would have found somebody else and he probably would have been killed. 
That's what would have happened. This centurion, if he had said, I can't crucify this man, he's the Son of God, they would have killed him and they would have found somebody that was going to do it. But this man comes to that realization. As Jesus dies there on the cross, and in that moment, his life is forever changed. In Luke's account, in chapter 23 and verse 47, it says, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. He acknowledges him as the Son of God, and then he says, He was a righteous man. Do you know what this centurion just admitted? We killed an innocent man. Had they killed innocent men before? Certainly. But what was different about this one? It was the fact that he recognized Jesus' identity and Jesus' authority as the Son of God. And if an innocent person had died before at the hands of the Roman Empire, guess what? Our bad. We make mistakes. It's an imperfect system. Think that ever happens in our justice system today? No, it does. And what do we say? It's unfortunate, but it's the way the system works. But there was something different about Jesus. And this centurion looked at him and said, You know what? This man didn't do anything wrong and we killed him. And we murdered him. Tonight, I want you to put yourself in that place and I want you to realize because of your sins, you killed an innocent man. Because of my sins, I killed an innocent man. A man who had not committed any sin, a man who had not done anything wrong. All he had done is teach people God's truths. All he had done is come to love and to extend love to mankind and to touch humanity with the love of God. And guess what we did? We stood in that centurion's boots and we killed him because of our sins. We didn't swing a hammer. We didn't strike him across his face. We didn't spit upon him. We didn't mock him. But I want to tell you, your sins did the same thing to Jesus that this centurion did. It's because of us that our Savior is hanging there on that cross. Lifeless. You're guilty. Just as that centurion is. See, what this centurion began to understand is the significance of spiritual things. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 15 says, Under the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. And I could imagine this centurion standing there as these other men, his soldiers, mock and ridicule and they cast lots, dividing out Jesus' clothing and they're looking at another common criminal that's dying and he's sitting there pondering spiritual, deep, meaningful things. Something had changed within him. The things that he would normally talk about, all of a sudden he wasn't focused upon. Why? Because he sees the Son of God hanging there. 
Because he realizes his guilt. He realizes what he has done in killing and murdering an innocent man. And his mindset begins to change. Do you think those Roman authorities who sentenced Jesus to die cared? But this man did. And as you and I contemplate our guilt, I want you to understand we have to care and we have to come to that same realization that spiritual things matter. And yes, we're guilty of the murder and the blood of Jesus Christ, but He's the only one that can forgive us. And as Jesus hung there and cried out for His Father to forgive them, for they know not what they do, He wasn't just talking about the centurion and the Jews and those that were there that day watching Him die. He was talking about us. And asking His Father to forgive us of the sins that we've committed by the power of His blood and His sacrifice. Romans chapter 8 emphasizes the idea of thinking with a spiritual mind. Romans 8, beginning of verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then that are in the fle- they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He emphasizes the idea of spiritual things. And what are we talking about all week this week? Spiritual warfare. This Roman centurion was skilled in physical warfare, and now he was going to need to prepare himself for a spiritual war. Just as you and I have to prepare ourselves for today. To be spiritually minded and led by the Spirit of God and not led by the carnal mind and spirit that we have, that this centurion surely had at one time. But all of that had to change. And I want you to know it started changing when he acknowledged who Jesus was. He was one of the first ones to understand the power of the cross. The power of what happened that day as he made that proclamation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Remember, as we talked about that centurion, if he had learned these facts earlier in the day and he had made that confession that this is the Son of God, we can't murder him, he would have lost his life. But you know what? If they had heard him make that proclamation later in the day, even after Jesus was crucified, that he acknowledged him as the Son of God, his life was still at risk. But at that point, what was he willing to do? He was willing to make that confession. All of the apostles that we've talked about last night, and John in particular, you know what they all suffered through? They all suffered being thrown in prison. They all suffered being stoned. They all suffered being martyred for Jesus. That means their life was taken. For doing what? The same things that you and I do here today. For worshiping God. For striving to be spiritually minded and led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ and teaching His gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection to those that are around them. They were taken up and cast into prisons as outcasts in their society and they were murdered. But they did it gladly, didn't they? I want to say this man understood the preaching of the cross and he was the first one to make that proclamation that truly this is the Son of God. 
Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. A lot of people look at the teaching of Jesus Christ and the cross that He died upon, and they say, that's foolish. Why would God have His Son die? If He was the Son of God and He had all that power, why didn't He just come down from the cross? Why didn't God save man some other way? It's because God chose the foolishness of preaching. That's what He chose. That was the pathway that He wanted to open up for you and I to accept the sacrifice of Christ and come in obedience so that we could have our sins forgiven. It was His decision to make and this is the path which He chose for you and I. And I believe He did that purposefully. He did it in such a way that we cannot mistake the love that God has for His creation because He was willing to allow Himself to die on that cross. Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, and that flesh hung there on the cross and died. How can we mistake such great love? But the Jews, it was a stumbling block because they didn't acknowledge His kingdom, nor His superiority, nor His leadership and authority. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness because it didn't make sense in their debased minds. But he says, to you, it's the power of God to salvation. And this centurion had his heart changed in that one single day. There's another group that had their heart changed in a single day, in a single meeting, in hearing a single sermon. On the day of Pentecost, as Peter preaches that first gospel sermon, he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A simple message. He goes back in the lineage and connects Jesus in the genealogy to the throne of David and that He was the one that came to restore that throne and restore Israel. Not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual, in that kingdom of God that was going to be started there in Acts chapter 2. And as he preached, he tells them in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you have crucified, God hath made both Lord and Christ. You know what they did when they heard that message? The Bible says they were pricked in their heart. Does it prick you in your heart when you hear that you're guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ being shed? Or do you mock and ridicule it? Does it even matter anymore? Does Jesus' death even touch our hearts? To many in Rome that day when Jesus died, it didn't touch them, they didn't care but it touched the heart of that centurion, didn't it? And as these Jews on the day of Pentecost are confronted with their sin, the Bible says it pricks them in their heart and they ask a question, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the question we need to ask ourselves and we need to ask God tonight. Because of our guilt, because of what we've done wrong, what is it that you want us to do? Because you're our Lord, you're our Master, you are the Son of God, and we'll do what it is you ask of us if we can only have hope of forgiveness through our repentance.
And what did Peter tell him to do? Verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You want your life changed in an instant? You want one night or one day to change your life forever? Come to the cross. Come to Jesus. His blood is just as powerful tonight as it was on the day that He died on that cross. And as that centurion looked up and saw Him hanging there and made that proclamation that He was the Son of God, if you'll make that confession tonight and you'll obey Him in baptism, guess what? Your life will be forever changed. And your sins can be forgiven. And no matter how guilty you feel or what sin you have, Jesus' blood can wash it clean and give you a new life with Him. But it takes you being willing to come. It takes you being willing to acknowledge who Jesus is. Understanding the truth of the Word of God and the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. And understanding that through baptism you access that blood and you have a new life with Christ. And if you're here tonight and you need to do that, think about the cross. You think about the sacrifice that was made, not for the sins of the world, but for your sins. And you think about the power that God has to forgive and cleanse. And you come obeying Him tonight. If you have a spiritual need, whether it be for baptism, whether it be for prayer of reconciliation, we stand here to help you, to assist you in your pathway back to God. Let us help you tonight as you come to the invitation of Jesus as we stand and sing.